Death Triathlon Show, episode 35. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. As always, I'm your host, Michael, and the topic of today's episode is warming up for races. And much of what we are going to talk about today actually applies just as much to training as it does for racing, particularly the physiological reasons why you should warm up and how you should do it. But some of the things like logistical things that you need to take into consideration are specific for races. So that's just the way that I decided to structure this episode when doing my prep work for it. But uh, other than that, most of it is uh, just as applicable for training as it is for racing. So let's dive right into today's topic. First of all, most of you probably warm up already anyway before you do any sort of hard training or racing. But do you know why you're doing it? Do you know the actual benefits that warming up gives you? Well, let's talk about that. So first, it reduces the resistance in your body from things like muscle stiffness, uh, which can cause as much as a 20% reduction in, in joint resistance if you just proceed immediately to hard, working out hard or racing after just nothing in terms of warm-up compared to compared to doing a proper warm-up. So 20% is quite a lot for muscle stiffness. So that's just one of the main reasons, reducing resistance in the body. Second, you get increased blood flow and oxygen uptake by your muscles from warming up. So increased blood flow, that's easy enough to understand. And oxygen uptake, that's uh, caused by hemoglobin, which is the oxygen-carrying protein in your blood cell. It starts to give away twice as much oxygen to the muscles that it delivers oxygen to when the temperature of the hemoglobin itself is raised by five degrees celsius and we know that warming up can increase your muscle temperature so that's one of the main goals of warming up to increase the muscle temperature by as much as six degrees celsius and the hemoglobin temperature is likely to be increased although there is no direct studies on hemoglobin temperature increase from warming up but but it's likely to be increased by a similar amount or maybe slightly less but even so it's uh, clear as day that uh, the amount of oxygen that your muscles can take up from your bloodstream is increased after warming up for this reason and then uh, more generally oxygen consumption or vo2 or vo2 dot as it's uh, usually used in technical papers at least it's elevated from the start of the race or the hard session when you warm up so you increase the baseline oxygen consumption which is a good thing because that makes sure that you can maintain an aerobic workload and not go anaerobic at the start when you have steadily increased that oxygen consumption so maintaining an aerobic workload will not only will it feel much better compared to just going straight into a hard set you will feel not good but you will also be using less glycogen so you will spare those glycogen stores and also as well going anaerobic it will 
probably make you psychologically just feel like you're working like way 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 too hard from the very very start of the race and and that's never a good thing if you get into a negative mindset that this is too hard which is what it will feel like you want to keep a positive mindset in at the start of the race and and if you have a proper warm-up so you can maintain your workload aerobic unless it's maybe a, a sprint distance triathlon in which case you can go anaerobic and it might be level athlete then uh, but other than that maintaining that aerobic workload is hugely important and to do that you need to you need to get that baseline oxygen consumption up so then we also have some more psychological and mental aspects we have talked about this briefly with uh, on episode 28 with brad stolberg on routines and uh, how it's important to have a checklist of sorts that you do before every single race or high performance uh, output that you need to produce whether it's as an athlete or in other circumstances but specifically for triathlon having that checklist that you do knowing that you've done this warm-up before and it has served you well in the past that's something that can be a big improvement in in how you approach the race mentally just knowing that you you've ticked that box you have done your warm-up and now you basically know that you're all set up to perform well and uh, and you've, there's nothing more that you can do. You've done everything you can about the preparations. Now it's just the race execution itself left to be done. But that mental aspect is something that should not be underestimated because it's uh, definitely very important. And uh, it's I'm actually reading Brad's book right now. I just got it a week ago. And uh, yeah, the, the routines that elite athletes have in their race preparations and uh, competition or game preparations it's incredibly how ingrained they are and how they always use the same routines and i think that's something that we as triathletes sometimes do very much haphazardly and randomly but i encourage you to find one single warm-up routine that works well for you that has worked well for you in a race and then stick to that routine Try to make it a habit to do just that one routine and it will make you give you a mental edge in your racing. And then you should obviously start incorporating that in your warm up for training as well so that you basically you know how to do that without even thinking about it when you get to your race situations. And finally, the final benefit and the reason that you should warm up is reduced muscle soreness post-race or post-exercise and potentially injury prevention, but um, that's uh, up for debate. There's conflicting evidence about that, so uh, I wouldn't use that as a reason to warm up, but uh, reduced muscle soreness post-race or post-exercise has been shown in science when you warm up properly. But uh, in addition to these benefits, there are some pitfalls that you want to avoid before we go into how exactly you should do your race warm-up. And uh, there are three of them, to be exact. And the first one is large increases in the core temperature. So uh, if you extend your warm-up for a long duration, and especially if the ambient temperature is high, then you might increase your core temperature. And you don't want to do that, because that is going to be something that uh, reduces the potential performance that you can get out of yourself in your race, especially if it's a long race. You want to keep that core temperature down, but get your muscle temperature up. So notice the distinction here. Get your muscle temperature up, but keep your core temperature at its baseline level, essentially. So a rough guideline would be 20 minutes is fine for a warm-up. But then again, there are exceptions for shorter races where core temperature might not be as much of a limiter. And you're more limited by really having having woken up all energy systems properly for also activity 
in a in an activity specific way so doing all bike and run and swim workouts properly but 20 minutes as a rough guideline let's say you're doing a running race a pure running race or pure cycling race then 20 minutes is a very good guideline for many different durations to keep that core temperature down again so the second pitfall to avoid is using a lot of energy during the warm-up so burning through your glycogen stores and this is for for longer events where glycogen stores are essentially going to run low or even run out without uh, taking on external energy so 7.3 racing or ironman races or any event that is let's say three hours or longer that's where you definitely don't want to use up any more energy than necessary in your warm-up so a way to avoid that is to actually take on some extra energy during the warm-up or between the warm-up and the race start. So that's that's something that you shouldn't be afraid of if you're warming up for a 7.3 or an Ironman or even an Olympic race and you expect it to take you three hours or more. And then finally, the final pitfall to avoid is a general increase in fatigue. And uh, the solution for this is simply to reduce the intensity. Anything that isn't supposed to be intense during the warm-up, keep it very, very easy like ridiculously easy it will still get your muscles warmed up and and get that oxygen consumption baseline that is that are the two of the most important things up so it's no harm in keeping it very very easy and uh, that's something that you see when you see elite athletes at, at races maybe you've even been in a race like a marathon or half marathon or a triathlon where there have been elite fields and if you see them warming up it will seem easy i remember specifically a half marathon that i ran in in milano and there are some really good fast elite runners there running like 60 or 61 minutes for the half marathon and uh I remember thinking to myself, hang on, why am I doing my warmth at faster pace than these guys that are going to win the marathon in almost 20 minutes faster than, than I'm going to run it? So, so yeah, it's no harm in keeping it easy at all. You should do that to reduce the risk of having an increase in fatigue. But another thing also is, is the duration. So duration is something that, that also can be reduced if you are at risk of getting any extra fatigue from that warm up. So let's dive into duration in a bit more detail here. So I mentioned that 20 minutes is a good guideline for keeping that core temperature down or not having it increase. First, let's look at the research. So some studies have shown that, for example, a 10-minute warm-up could be enough to reach that steady state of oxygen consumption, increase that baseline level. So even a 10-minute warm-up might be fine. Obviously, for triathlon, it's always difficult to interpret these studies because that means that you should do 10 minutes running and biking and swimming, or is it 10 minutes total? And uh, who's to say? I mean, as far as I know, there are no warm-up studies that have been done on triathlon specifically. It's like running or cycling usually that you see these studies in. So, so we'll get to the practical application a bit later. But anyway, another interesting study for the duration compared a 16-minute versus a 50-minute warm-up in cyclists, and they found that the 16-minute study resulted in better performance, so increased power output, essentially. So that that's a really good good practical takeaway. Longer is not always better. I don't actually remember the duration of the performance here, but still, they measured performance output. That's important. And 16 minutes was better than 50 minutes. So the factors that are going to affect the duration of your warm-up are the duration of your event and your own fitness ability or fitness level, and finally the ambient temperature. So as for the event length or event duration, as the duration of the event increases, the warm-up duration should uh, be decreased. So 
actually for an Ironman or a 70.3, many triathletes, unless you're at the top end of the field, you don't actually need to do much of a warm-up at all. Maybe some, some light swimming, not for metabolic reasons at least. Since we're starting with the swim, it's usually a good idea to warm up anyway to just get used to being in the water if you're allowed to do that at your race so that the temperature, for example, doesn't shock you or just getting into the water in general. So so that's one reason to why anybody should warm up in terms of the swim. But if you are doing like a running event or duathlon that is the same duration as a, a half or full Ironman, there really wouldn't be much reason at all to warm up for that for most athletes unless you're at the elite end of the field. And uh, also, so the reason for this is obviously that it's lower intensity and there's increased risk of burning through glycogen stores and running out of glycogen stores if you if you use that warm-up to dig into those stores. And also, as we mentioned, the increased core temperature that you get from your warm-up. So as a general rule, the cutoff time for what is a longer duration event would be that three hour that I mentioned earlier. So with the exception of actually getting into the water to get used to just being in the water as a warm up and, and not necessarily searching the metabolic benefits of warm ups for events three hours or longer, unless you're a very you're competing for at the top end of the field, then you don't really need to do much warm up at all for those longer events. So event duration is one factor, but the other one is your current fitness level. So obviously, if you're more fit, you the warm-up probably doesn't cause you that much fatigue at all. So you don't run the risk of, of inducing that extra fatigue that will reduce your race performance. So in other words, fitter athletes can warm up more and generally should warm up more. So leaf triathletes that are about to race in a sprint distance race for example they will probably warm up for 60 minutes in total and to do a 50 minute race so a longer warm-up than the race itself and the same goes for elite half marathoners but make sure that you know you can try this out in your training so try different warm-up durations for your training sessions maybe for a brick session a hard brick session or something like that and see what seems to work best for you what gives you the best performance output and without making you feel fatigued in that main set of your training and finally, the final thing affecting the duration of your warm-up is uh, the temperature. So it's less of a concern than the two above, but it should still be considered. Remember that your objective is to warm up the muscles, but without increasing your core temperature. There's not really that much research on this topic, but some general guidelines. Let's say that you we use that 20 minutes as your baseline warm-up duration. If the ambient temperature is very cool, then you should increase that duration of your warm-up to maybe 30 or up to 40 minutes in those cold conditions to make sure that your muscles really get warmed up properly and you won't run the risk of increasing your core temperature too much in those conditions. But in hot conditions, you may decrease it to 10-15 minutes at most just because you're already putting stress on your core body temperature just by being in the heat. So you really don't want to to put the extra risk of, of further increasing that core body temperature, which will derail your race performance by doing an extended warm-up. So that's how you should think about it as general rule of thumb. What about intensity of your warm-up then? Well, I mentioned that it should be really easy so you don't induce fatigue or go through too much of your glycogen stores. But the goal is to increase the muscle temperature and elevate your oxygen consumption baseline level without those pitfalls. And most research and other recommendations as well support 
working at an intensity that is 60 to 70 percent of your vo2 max so your maximum aerobic capacity or oxygen utilization so for fairly well-trained athletes that would be something like 70 to 80 percent of your threshold intensity because thresholds you might know what your threshold is but maybe not what your vo2 max is well usually for fairly well-trained athletes the threshold might be 80 to 85 percent of your vo2 max and let's just say it's, it's 80. In that case, though, that warm-up intensity will be 70 to 80% of your threshold intensity. So you can use that, that as a guideline. I would probably stick to the lower end of that spectrum, like 70% of threshold. But you can try both out and see what seems to work best for you. But then you also should wake up the energy systems that you need and the neuromuscular activations patterns that you need in your race at your race intensity level. So... First, I'm going to give you one warm-up protocol that I read about in the book Triathlon Science that is co-edited by Joe Friel and Jim Vance, both former guests on that triathlon show, episodes one and seven. So go back to the archives and have a look at those episodes. In that book, the recommended protocol is to include three to five intervals of 10 to 30 seconds each at 100 to 150% of VO2 max with long, easy recoveries in between, so a couple of minutes at least. So the example protocol is a 10-minute easy run, again, that 60 to 70% of VO2 max, and then another 10 minutes with those 3 to 5 intervals at 100 to 150% VO2 max with long recoveries in between. So a total warm-up of 20 minutes run, and then a swim warm-up. And this protocol assumes that you don't get to do a proper bike warm-up at all, which in many races might be the case. I've been doing my warm-ups slightly differently. For example, I just yesterday, by the time of this recording, it's the 18th of June when I record this, so you will be hearing this about a week later. I did the Sprint Distance Nationals, so and um, I was competing in the elite category, So and uh, I'm fairly well-trained, so my warm-up is uh, definitely longer than 20 minutes, and it's a short race, so... So my warm-up was long. It was a 20-minute bike, a 15-minute run, and a 15-minute swim. So 50 minutes in total. And on the bike and the run, I did pretty much that same thing with 10 minutes easy first. But then in both of those, I included three intervals. The first one was 90 seconds, and then the second was 60 seconds, and then the third one was 30 seconds. And I increased intensity from the longest interval to the shortest. So the first one, the 90-second interval was at slightly lower than race intensity. And uh, the 60 second was around about race intensity. And then the 30 second one was at higher than race intensity. And uh, to give you, well, but 100% of VO2 max is obviously higher than race intensity, even for a sprint distance race. So I would still probably, maybe for the final one, I I got to that VO2 max level. But even for for the race intensity, I was definitely lower than the 100% VO2 max that the Triathlon Science book recommends. But I should say that protocol is uh, not anything that's come up from research studies. It's something that that's just a recommended protocol. And I'm sure that it works uh, incredibly well, that, that one as well. But I've just found that, as I mentioned, routines are incredibly important as well. Uh, ticking that box and getting that mental edge. And this is a protocol that has worked for me in the past. And uh, I think it did its job yesterday as well. I was pretty happy with my performance. Uh, Two-minute recoveries between each of those intervals so again, as I mentioned, same for the bike and as for the run. And then the rest intervals and the part of the warm-up that's not those intervals is very, very easy, very slow. 
you can't go too slow on that, basically. And I will include screenshots of both my bike and my run warm-ups for this uh, race for the Sprint Distance Nationals in the show notes on thattriathlonshow.com. So you can have a look. It will show my power output and my heart rate and and everything and my pace for the run and also my power for the run because I now run with a stride power meter, which uh, actually was very useful yesterday because it was a very hilly run. So I, I watched power at some points during the race as well to see that I didn't go too hard on the uphills and didn't slack too much on downhills. Anyway, that's it about intensity. Essentially very easy, but then a few bouts of very hard intensity. So moving on to the timing and the order of the swim, bike and run for your warm up. Ideally, you would do a short warm-up in each discipline in reverse order from the race. So first the run, then the bike, and then the swim, because you want to do the most specific warm-up. So the swim warm-up just before you're going to do the actual race. But this is, of course, not always, maybe almost never practically possible. At least uh, in Finland, we usually have mandatory race infos about an hour before the workouts, and we had that yesterday as well. And anyway, you have those cutoff times when you need to have everything prepared in your transition area and uh, your bike should be checked in. So I almost always start with the bike and then do the run. So I do my transition area and the final bike check in between the bike warm-up and the run warm-up. And then I do the swim as the last part. And I find that that works well, switching the order of the bike and the run. And you can eliminate the bike warm-up and still get all the metabolic benefits like increased oxygen consumption baseline level and uh, muscle temperature as well. It's just the muscle activation of specific muscle groups that you don't get quite as much, but uh, it's not too big of a damage and everybody else is going through the same as well. So you'll get most of it done even without doing a bike warm-up. And if your race does not allow, this is something I want to talk about before talking more specifics about timing. If your race does not allow swim warm-ups, what I would do is substitute that swim warm-up for a stretch cord warm-up. And, but this is important. You must have practiced this in the training because otherwise you might fatigue yourself totally on that warm-up if you're using stretch cords for the first time or are not used to using them at all. So what I do now is I practice before every single open water swim workout that I do, I do a, a stretch cord warm-up just to get used to that in case I come to a race and I'm not allowed to do a, a swim warm-up. It hasn't happened yet, but in, in case it happens, I'm sure it will at some point. I'll be ready. I'll have a plan B. I always have my my stretch cords ready with me so uh so yeah that's something that i would recommend that you do as well and obviously from between getting up of the water if you you need to do that and uh and the start of the swim you should try to keep warm as best you can by just jogging jogging in in your wetsuit and and things like that but not trying to fatigue yourself too much so uh, yeah the the specific timings of the warm-up if we move into that a bit it's important to note that the benefits of the warm-up obviously dissipate with time. So if you wait two hours from doing a warm-up to doing a race, you're not going to have much benefit at all from it, if anything, probably not anything. The baseline oxygen consumption, VO2, returns to to normal, to its baseline. Let me put it like this. Your warm-up's goal, one of them, is to elevate your VO2 baseline. So you elevate that to a higher level than what it is during inactivity. But then it returns to that inactivity baseline level after 20 to 45 minutes of inactivity. So you have a 20 to 45 minute window and it still remains elevated at an activity level. So it's ideal if the race begins within 10 minutes of the end of the warm-up. But that's usually not 
practically possible, but you'll still get benefits. But you should try to get that warm-up done as close to the race as possible. But then again, as I said, muscle or sorry, oxygen consumption is not the only benefit. You also have muscle temperature and that remains elevated for much longer than your oxygen consumption level. So for muscle temperature, it's for over an hour that you can retain those warm up benefits. But your best bet again is to try and do broken warm ups before races because that's what's usually logistically possible and, uh, and practical. So, for example, what I did for the Sprint Distance Nationals yesterday was a 20-minute bike. And that was around about, I started doing that almost two hours before the start of the race. But then I put my, no, an hour and a half, it must have been. And then I put my transition area in order for and checked my bike for the final time. And uh, that took maybe 10 minutes. And then I went out for a 15 minute uh, run warm up. And then it was, there was a 15 to 20 minute mandatory race info. And then immediately after that, I proceeded to my 15 minute swim warm up. And then after that, I needed to be out of the water because you needed to be out of the water 15 minutes before the race start. So, so I was right on time and uh, then tried to keep active and stay warm on the beach by just doing dynamic movements and jogging in place and those sorts of things. So that was a, an example of a broken warm up where you have periods that try not to let them get to beyond 20 minutes. My longest was the race info, which was 20 minutes, I think. So, but, but I still retained that muscle, that elevated muscle temperature and at least some of that elevated oxygen consumption. So, so I can, and then I can proceed to the next part of the broken warm up and, and elevate it back again. So, so that's the idea that you can, you're not going back to your inactivity baseline level. So broken warm ups are the best and most practical way to do those warm ups before your races which have all sorts of things like, again, checking in your bikes, race infos, and so on. So you should, one final point, you should know exactly the time schedule of your race, when you need to be, when, and what you need to do at what point. And that will allow you to reverse engineer your warm-up and and know exactly when you need to do what to retain all those benefits by trying to minimize the breaks between the warm-ups, but still getting getting everything done as much as possible. This is, of course, again, duration dependent and by that i mean duration of your goal event for an ironman you might not need to do what i did you can skip the bike warm-up as mentioned and just do a very easy five ten minute jog and then maybe some a swim warm-up or definitely a swim warm-up but nothing intense needed in that case just getting used to being in the wetsuit in the water and and those sorts of things so I will include the warm-up protocols that I mentioned today in the, on the show notes page on thattriathlonshow.com. And I'll also have uh, those warm-up cro- protocols that I mentioned from the Triathlon Science book. And of course, my screenshots of my warm-up files from, uh, from Training Peaks. So my power files and, and pace, pace outputs, pace charged from my bike and run warm-ups. I don't have that for my swim warm-up. What I did for my swim warm up, by the way, I should mention that was a four or 500 meter warm up. And, uh, I included towards the end alternating between, uh, 10 strokes hard, 10 easy, 20 hard, 20 easy, 30 hard, 30 easy, 40, 40, 50, 50, and then going back down. Then some more easy swimming. I also added some backstroke during the easy swimming part and two builds. So 50 meter builds, roughly 50 meter accelerations from slow to fast pace but most of it was very easy very very relaxed but in total a 500 meter warm-up i think it was so 
or even more. It could, might have been 600 because I was in the water for almost 15 minutes. So, so that's what I did for the swim warm up. That won't, I don't have a file for that, but I have them for the run and the bike. So you can check them out to get an ID. Again, those warm ups that I did were 90, 60 and 30 second intervals. Thank you for sticking with me for this episode. It's been slightly longer than I expected. There were some, it wasn't too long to prepare, but, uh, just saying all of these things that I noted down, my preparation notes were took me a bit longer than I would have thought, but hope that you can make sense of it. And if not, go to the show notes on thattriathlonshow.com. Naturally, our next episode will be on cool downs and that will probably be shorter because I know already a bit about, I've done some research, initial research. And uh, just to give you a little teaser, it might not be what you think. So I would definitely advise you to listen to that episode. I was a bit surprised even, not too surprised, but, but there are some interesting findings that I did when, when researching that episode. All right, that's it. I'm signing out now. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlons.